0: So the first scripture is from Luke 11, verse 1. It says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. The second scripture is from Matthew 6, 9 to 13. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Awesome you can grab your seats. Wow, what a good time this is. I, uh, I was thinking as Taylor was sharing, maybe I won't preach and we'll let that be God's message to us this afternoon. Alpha's life-changing. If you've not done Alpha please feel free to join us as a church. We do it every term, and we're not going to shy away from it. We actually want to lean back into it and, uh, because it's powerful and just expressing the radical hospitality of Jesus to those that have not got a whiff of the Christian story and seeing what God does in that wonderful, open, and listening-fueled space. As, we were, as Anna was reading um, that text just before, I sort of felt all the seasoned Christians in the room mouthing along, you know, the Lord's prayer under their breath. Is anyone else doing that? I was doing that a little bit. Yeah, there it is. Um, I just want to extend my warm welcome to those of us in the room for whom this is their first time with us at New Life Brisbane as well. You are so welcome in this place, and we truly think and believe that you don't need to believe what we believe to belong in this community. But you better bet your bottom dollar that what we think about the universe as we come into contact with this community will be challenged and shaped and shifted and invited to think through all that life is about, meaning, purpose, morality, destiny, and the universe. And so we just give you that warm welcome and say, you belong here, and we can't wait to share community and family with you. Uh, Two quick updates from me before I get into the scriptures. One is just about our elders process. It's been such an amazing process to sit alongside Kathy, who's one of our elders, Michael, who's our lead minister over our family, and Adele Ramsey, who sits on council in Rabina. It's such an absolute privilege to just go along and discern as a body of people those that the community here at New Life have nominated. Uh, We've come down to one name that next Sunday evening, we want to have a meeting around and invite the members of this church to vote to affirm the discernment of that selection body. And so that name that I put forward to you this afternoon, we're incredibly excited is Alex Williams, and so, you all know Alex, she's one of the OG members here at New Life Brisbane. And so can I just ask you, be praying, be discerning, and next week, after the service, uh, we'll have a vote. There'll be ballot papers, all that kind of stuff, and we'll be voting to affirm the discernment of the selection committee. And so can I just encourage you to be praying for Alex as we step into this, and, um, and just as a community, let's just finish off this discernment together. But our fourth elder, our second female elder, what an exciting time, hey? awesome. Uh, And then the last announcement from me, not to take up too much time here, but is just the fact that we're going to do things a bit more local going forward, um, both within the structure of the New Life family, but something we haven't done as a local church in a long time is receive members locally in a service. We've been doing that online through Zoom as a wider family because of COVID. Uh, And so if you don't know what receiving members is, I'm in the same boat, I'm pretty fresh into the Uniting Church, and so I just say, look out next week, there'll be a part in our service where we receive members into our church at a local level. Uh, Members not just to New Life Brisbane, but New Life family, so it's a very exciting moment for us as a local faith community. Hey, we're speaking on prayer this afternoon. I don't know what your relationship is with prayer, I don't know what your experience is with prayer. I know myself, I've had a wild ride, but here's something I know. I know that prayer is much more of a universal human experience than we would typically think in sort of secular, modern Australia. I actually was preparing this week, and I was reminded of the first prayer that I ever prayed. You're going to love this one. I was 10 years old, and something you need to know about me as a 10-year-old is I was really cool, super cool kid. (laughs) I was so cool, in fact that the kind of clothes that I really desired to wear were rap clothes. So one of my favorite, my, my, my favorite singer-songwriters at the time was a guy named Marshall Mathers, uh, who we formerly know as Eminem, who you could also refer to as the real Slim Shady, and I just need to ask, can he stand up this afternoon? <laughs> and so, another thing that you, don't, you need to know about me is, my pop had a surf shop, that rhymes, didn't mean it to, my <laughs> pop had a surf shop in rural New South Wales when I was growing up, it's called Blue Denim, he still owns it, he's like 82 years old and he goes to work every day, How's like blood and salt of the earth kind of family, right? But every year we travel 10 hours as a family, nearly broke our family up, we travel 10 hours as a family, in a car, to Gunnada, where my extended family live. And I'd be so excited to go into my pop shop, because he had like SMP hats, he had like rusty clothes, he had a brand called Unit. Anyone know what the brand Unit is? Yeah, great. You're from Anala, Of course you do, Taylor. No, I'm just kidding. I'm from Redcliffe, so where's that going to go? And so, I'd be so excited. I'd get a new cap every single year, but there was this new item on the market. It was called an M&M shirt. And you'll see it on the slide behind me. So that one on the far left represents most accurately the kind of shirt that I prayed for. So here I am, I'm 10 years old, no faith framework, no sort of proposition in prayer, nothing like that, no understanding of the Christian story, and I'm like, I want that shirt. Knew that they came into stock at my pop shop, so I got on my bed in Redcliffe, put my hands together because I thought that made it more holy, and I was like, God, would you please give me an M&M shirt? <laughs> Went to pop shop, they had them in stock, bought one, gave my life to Christ. I'm just kidding. (laughs) That happened seven years later for a much deeper and profound reason. My first prayer that I ever prayed. Have you prayed prayers in your life? No matter your background, no matter your story, no matter your belief system, I bet you have. I bet you've prayed prayers. Prayer is way more ubiquitous than we think. It's a universal human reality. Um, I don't know if you know this, but every single year, thousands of Jews pilgrimage to the Western Wall near the Temple of Jerusalem to cast their prayers and gather around Passover. In fact, around Passover, you can get up to 100,000 Jews visiting the wall a day. One person in every six bows towards Mecca up to five times a day in the Islamic faith. Eastern pantheistic faiths, high in the mountains of the Himalayas, are these red, blue, white, green and yellow flags, and they're called prayer flags, and they just hang in the wind, sort of casting the blessing of the prayers of the Buddhist tradition across the universe. Prayer seems fundamental to every religion, most worldviews, and every human. It's a universal human reality, and it's much more popular than you think, not just in religions, but think of other cultural examples. Um, In 2006, Elizabeth Gilbert wrote a best-selling novel called Eat, Pray, Love sat at the top of the New York bestsellers list. I don't know if you're laughing because you read it. <laughs> and if you did, awesome. It sat at the top of the bestsellers list for 187 weeks. It sold more than 10 million copies. And it tells her own story of getting divorced and mo- moving overseas to try and find herself. And the pray part was when she moved to India to explore spirituality and, in a sense, pray. Pray. Other examples are this, right? Like you think of people who might just be a bit more new agey. They don't believe in God in this world, but they they think that there's something more to this universe. And so something good happens in life, and they're just like, thank you, universe, you know? The universe did this for me. It's amazing. I believe in the universe. And it's this sense that we've got lots of things to be thankful for. Man, do we need someone to be thankful to. And so we ascribe personality and intentionality to the universe, but it's not because we believe it to be true. It's just because we need to. Prayer is ubiquitous. It's part of everything. I don't know if you've prayed these prayers, but before I was a Christian, the prayer that I knew to pray was please. You know, I remember um, an example I thought of, you know, I was a little kid and maybe there was someone I was chasing, it was a girl or something, and I wanted to send her a text and so I'd send her a text and as I sent it, I'd be like, please, 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 please don't freak her out, you know? Like, remember those, have you prayed those please prayers in your life before? I'm sure you have. We've all prayed because prayer is much more ubiquitous and popular than you think, no matter your background, no matter your tradition, no matter your belief system. Prayer is fundamental. Why? There's a psychologist from Canada, David Brenner, and he said it like this He says, Prayer is the soul's native language. Isn't that beautiful language? The soul's native language. And what he's getting at there when he says this is simply this that there's this cry in our hearts deep down past the cognitive faculties in the recesses of our being and it needs to get out and that getting out it's called prayer now why would this be the case now here i stand as a pastor as a christian someone who affirms the christian worldview and so let me just quote for some christian philosophers for a moment before we jump into the text and you're like when's alex going to get into the text it's coming saint augustine an African bishop from the fourth century, he said it beautifully. He said, Thou hast put salt on my lips, O God. This beautiful articulation that in every single human, no matter their background, there's this thirst and hunger for the divine. That God is the ultimate answer to every single human question. Another philosopher who was reflecting on Augustine, James K.A. Smith, in his book, The Road on the Road with St. Augustine, he said it like this that the heart's hunger is infinite which is why it will ultimately be disappointed with anything merely finite. One more for you. A French mathematician and philosopher, Blaise Pascal, he just said that there's a God-shaped hole in the heart of every human. And so what does that mean for prayer? It just means that we can explain prayer simply by saying that it's a universal reality. It's not a Christian anomaly, It's more natural to being human than breathing. Why? Because all of us have a homing beacon for God, planted in the recesses of our souls, no matter our story. And prayer is the one of the ways that it speaks. That's it. So as humans, the question you need to ask is not whether you pray, but why you pray, and who it is that you might be praying to. It's a universal reality. Now, I've just made this big case that it's a universal reality, but in my experience as a pastor, I've come to hear that it's also a Christian difficulty, right? It's like, like prayer is so easy for the rest of the world who live their lives unexamined, but for me who follows God, I'm like, man, prayer is hard. Right? Like, just think about your week. Just Christians in the room, think about your week. Think about the time you went to try and pray. How'd that go? You know, rhetorical question. But how'd that go? Was it easy? Was it difficult? How'd you find it? In my experience as a pastor, it's quite difficult. I hear people all the time time say, yeah, you know, me and my relationship with prayer, you know, difficult. I rarely hear someone say, me and prayer, we're like this, you know? We're like best buds, I'm crushing it in the category of prayer in my life. I recently asked someone, hey, why didn't you join us at men's prayer recently? And they just said, look, I just don't know how to pray. What an honest answer. Right? Nothing to be ashamed of. Nothing to feel shunned for. I just don't know how to pray. I felt this in my own life. It's way more prevalent than you think. And here's the bottom line most of us know that we should pray, but many of us struggle to pray, which means that our relationship with prayer is marked not by freedom, but by guilt, right? Not marked by joy, but burden. Not marked by, you know, the the delight of being with God, but actually marked by this like moral no, and we just feel crappy about ourselves. And it's for this reason we wanna talk about prayer. We're kicking off a sermon series today called Prayer. Jesus, teach us to pray. And our aim is really simple. This is our aim, right? It boils down to this. We wanna learn to pray. Now, as I say that, how does that make you feel? For me, I couldn't think of anything better to do for the next six weeks. To learn, to pray, to engage the divine for which every human heart has been longing from eternity past into eternity future, to be with the God who made us for himself, as Augustine says, to actually sit in the lap of our heavenly father who's made every way possible for us to be there. I could not think of a better way to spend my time than to learn to pray. We don't want us to learn to pray. We want to learn to love prayer, to find it to be this like natural knee-jerk reaction at every single junction in our lives, to enjoy prayer, to sit with God, you know, for all the things that the philosophers have talked about and every world religion has wondered about, God has made available in Jesus this possibility to communicate, to sit and enjoy and be known and loved, and we call it prayer and we're going to learn about it and learn to love it. Think about those people in your life right now. And anyone in the room can do this. And they're the people who know how to pray. All of us have someone like this in our lives. Might be Lauren Andrus. Might be Isaac Chatterton. Might be Toby Richards. One day it'll be me. I'll get there, guys. It's fine. But like, you know, there's people in your life who know how to pray. You just want to be with them there's something about them you know what I mean it's like contagious and there's a peace about them and there's this presence there's this non-anxiety about them that just seems otherworldly there's something divine sort of in the flavor and mixed up all in it and here's what I want to say as the pastor of this church that can be each and every single one of us do you believe that this afternoon to enjoy God And to do that, we're going to walk through the Lord's Prayer. Two quick points about this before my two major points for us this afternoon. The Lord's Prayer is like Google. You go to it to go through it. And you'll see that behind me here, just on the screen, just a beautiful breakdown of the kinds of things that the Lord's Prayer invites us into. Adoration, intercession, petition, confession, and spiritual warfare. Our Father in heaven, adoration. Hallowed be your name. Confession. Confession. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. I skipped that, that's okay. I made a mistake there, that's all right. But it's this beautiful invitation, not just to recite something that's been recited for literally 2,000 years, but actually to inhabit a way of being in categories that Jesus modeled and articulated for God's glory, our joy, and the blessing of the world. Your kingdom come. And we're gonna sit in this. Think of this like Jesus' architecture that he gives us a pew in. This is our next six weeks, our Father in heaven. And so there's going to be heaps of opportunities to lean in and learn prayer, to recite things as a community, to confess things as a body. All that kind of stuff is coming. But here's my one thing. Don't let this be an exercise in learning about prayer. That would be a waste of our time. Let this be an invitation to inhabit prayer to spend time with Jesus, to love God and be loved by God as we communicate and hear from him. Second point about the Lord's Prayer is just this, that it's, it's holy ground, actually. Two billion people recite this on Easter Day every single year. It's been recited by Christians for the last two millennia. We stand on holy ground when we come to this prayer. This isn't something you learnt in Sunday school just to have in the back pocket of your memory, This is something that God has given his church to inhabit the kingdom of God and pray it's coming. And so when we do this, we stand on holy ground. But today, we're working just with this one assumption for today, that Jesus knew something about prayer that we don't. And I think that's a wonderful assumption to start with. Jesus knows something about prayer that we don't. And so the question I'm asking today is what would he teach us? And two things, sorry, three things. Gosh, I added something last minute, so sorry of my life, we'll get there. Um, the first thing I think Jesus would teach us is that prayer is relational, not transactional. Now, when I was growing up, I don't know if you had this experience, but I remember my parents would go to the ATM and they'd put their card in and get cash out. And I was like, this is amazing. This is a money machine, right? You're walking through Woolies in Margate and there's like, goes to the Westpac ATM, puts the card in, I'm like, how is this happening? Where's this cash coming from? Why doesn't someone steal the box? You know what I'm saying? Anyone had that moment when they were a kid? really exciting. What was even more exciting, in my experience, was not when I watched my mum do it, but when she gave me the card, gave me the PIN number, which is a secret. (laughs) So I go to the ATM. I'm like, bang, put the card in, no worries. Put the PIN in, oh, wrong PIN, second PIN, got it, tick. And I always used to love trying to see how many, like, um, how many notes I could get. So I found out if you put $50 in, you get a $50 note out. If you put $60 in, you get three 20s. And so I felt like a baller rolling around, you know? And so i try and get like the most amount of notes with like the least amount of money, and I'm pretty sure it's 60. So try and beat me. There's my challenge for this afternoon. But it was really exciting. You put money in, you get cash out. And I think a lot of the problem we have in prayer is because we think of God the same way. We think of God as like this cosmic ATM, this divine vending machine, and someone modeled prayer to us one time and said, you know, if you've got a problem in life, just pray about it. God will do something for you. Or if you've got an issue that you want re- like resolution in, just you know, throw, it, throw a request out to the universe that we call, you know, Yahweh. And, and then nothing happens. And to say it's severely disappointing would be an understatement because we go through a lot of stuff in life and there's a lot of things we want to pray about. And there's a lot of problems. We would love that if there was this divine father figure who would just come and meet us where we're at and do something about our situation, we can't. But it doesn't happen. Now, in a few weeks' time, we'll talk about what to do with unanswered prayer. But let's just, let's just reveal the assumption here. And the assumption is this, that prayer is primarily about getting something from God. And that's a real travesty because it makes light of what Jesus accomplished for us in his life, death, and resurrection And it completely diminishes the invitation of what prayer is ultimately about. Because the problem with this is that we go to God to get something else when the point of Christian prayer is to go to God to get God. Do you know that? That's the point of Christian prayer. It's relational, not transactional. And we know this for two reasons. One, because think about the first humans, Genesis 3.8. It says in Genesis 3, just sort of in the midst of things going pear-shaped, unfortunately, that they walked in the garden with God, that God walked in the garden with them. And here's a question that Pete Gregg, the starter of the 24-7 prayer movement, he says, what did they talk about? Before sin entered the world and there was problems to ask God like a vending machine to fix, like what did they talk about? If God was with them and they were with him and they were enjoying one another's company, what did they talk about? No, no requests to make, and here's, here's the answer, Life just enjoyed one another. Now some of us aren't okay with that idea because it feels too human. That's why Christianity is hard to believe. Not because it's too irrational, but actually because of the picture of God that it gives us is way radically different to the kind of beings we'd be led to believe by the philosophers. God wants communion, he wants relationship, he wants us, which means the point of prayer is not to get something from God, it's to get God himself. We know this too from the life of Jesus. Multiple times, the gospel writers, they talk about Jesus going to pray. At Jesus' baptism, he went and prayed. While being tempted in Matthew 4, the start of the gospels, he went and prayed. While Jesus was um, choosing his 12 disciples, the night before, it says Jesus spent the night praying to God. He took time out to be like, God, what decisions should I make? These guys are gonna start a revolution, an upside down kingdom, who do I choose? He goes and prays about it. He, before um, he gets up on the cross, he goes and prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. He even took Peter, John, and James, Luke's gospel tells us, up to a mountain to pray. Just picture that for a moment, right? The Son of God, God in flesh, and he like takes three brothers around, and he's like, hey, do you wanna come on a mountainside to pray with me? Could you imagine how sick that would be? It's just like God in the flesh, it's like talking to his dad, and he's like, yeah, this is how you do it, piece of cake, you know? I've known this guy from eternity past, loved him, and will so, we'll so do into eternity future, and Yeah, enjoy, boys, you know? That's what it would be like as Peter, James, and John. But then it also says that in Luke 5, verses 15 to 16, it says Jesus would often withdraw to lonely places and pray. And I just love that the gospel writer uses the word often. Don't you? It sort of suggests that prayer wasn't this like little side hustle of Jesus's. Wasn't this like afterthought wasn't a byproduct of a bad week. It was just part of life. Why? Relationship. Communion. Being with his father. Um, often when we think of prayer as transactional and not relational, we get focused on outcomes. And there's two kinds of outcomes we can focus ourselves on, both of which are good, but if elevated to the place of supremacy, are actually unhelpful. The outcome could be subjective, feeling change within myself, or the outcome could be objective, seeing change outside in history. And both of these things happen in prayer. If we don't believe that, we shouldn't pray, right? We actually believe that God responds to the prayers of his people, that Spurgeon would say, prayer moves the hand, that moves the world. We pray because we actually think it makes a difference. It changes us and it changes the world. But if all you're interested in is outcomes and not being with God, you won't enjoy prayer. Just imagine if I went to a conversation with my wife and every single time I had a conversation with my wife, I was like, I want outcomes, you know? I want to either feel something really awesome in myself or I want real-world solutions, you know? A relationship for the real world, QUT would say. If I was focused on outcomes, here's the question everyone would rightfully ask. Man, how's their relationship, right? But that's not how any relationship any marriage, any meaningful communion with a person works. And so why would it be any different with God? Right? Sure, outcomes are part of the invitation of prayer, but they're not the ultimate aim of prayer. The ultimate aim of prayer is to get with God. Jesus knew something we didn't know. For me, this became really clear when, um, before I moved up to Brizzy, we were in Sydney, and I took a day to walk the Blue Mountains, and pretend I was like this really cultured, you know, hiker, and I actually wanted to pray. I had my list, you know, here's the things I want to feel, here's the things I want to see results in, God, and I started walking along and, you know, going through the mountain, and I'll be honest, I just, I just did the walk, got to the end of it, and I remember thinking on the way home, look, that was a good time, but I don't feel any different, and it was nice to take time out and carve it out for God, but I wonder if I'll see any results, and I just felt like God came to me in the stillness of my drive home. Maybe Bonavair was on in the background, who knows. And just said, that was not a waste of time. I was right there. It's about relationship, not outcomes. It's relational, it's not transactional. That's the invitation of prayer. God is, and I'll say it as strongly as this, God is not interested in hearing prayers from you. He's interested in you. Just think about that for a second. It's not about what you can get, but who you're with. Now, the caveat to that statement, because I'm nuanced and stuff, is, sure, prayer's, prayer's how you give yourself to God. But prayer is not an end in itself. It's a means by which we commune. It's relational, not transactional. Second, prayer is normal, not unusual. I love how Jesus, when he answers the question of the disciples, he responds to them. And he just says, hey, when you pray. And he just assumes that actually this thing that Christians struggle with, and some of us find difficult, and some of us are really nailing. Is that it's just a normal part of our everyday rhythmic life. Luke 11, 1 2 says this. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, Sure, when you pray. And I just want to pull out two brief points here, which is this that it's actually really comforting and revelatory that we get this example in Luke's gospel. It's comforting because the disciples themselves witness to their humanity, to their finitude, to their foolishness, and they say, this is just something that I'm not a master in, right? This is something I'm not nailing. And so they go to their rabbi, to their teacher, to their Lord, and they say, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? In other words, it's comforting because don't we ask this question, right? If you're sitting here today and you've thought of the person in your mind who you know prays really well, and you're like, how do they do that? Here's the question you ask. Lord, teach me to pray. It starts with a question. It starts with humility. It's comforting because it gets us. Do you see that? Do you feel that? Does that liberate you a little bit? I hope it does. The second thing is is that it's revelatory. It's like an epiphany. And the reason is this, right? Like so often in Christian life, we put our focus on a bunch of random things which are good, but we shouldn't make ultimate. So I'll give you some examples, you know. Right now, I'm preaching what we call a sermon, and I'm a sermon guy, I love sermons, I listen to podcasts on sermons, I read books on how to make my sermons better, it's not really working, I'm I'm sorry to say, but we have this fixation on sermons, and I too am one of those kinds of people, you know, TED Talks took over the world in the late 90s, early 2000s, I probably butchered that date, but ever since, we're like, how are they going to structure their talk? Will they start with a story? Will they start with a question? I'm intrigued, I'm on the edge of my seat. We love sermons, or, you know... Central to our life as a, as a church planting church is we want to plant churches. And so the Apostle Paul did this. It was modeled in the New Testament. And so we want to see other Jesus communities sort of like fan out like the lights of a city, just push out across the known world and bring peace and love and righteousness, as Paul would say. What does Jesus teach his disciples? Didn't teach them preaching. Didn't teach them how to plant churches. He taught them to Pray. He wants to teach each of us to pray. You might have extravagant goals in the kingdom of God as a Christian. You might wanna be a pastor. You might wanna be a witness to your workplace. You might wanna see incredible things happen. And I'd say go for it, read a book on it, get practical about it, but if you don't come to God and ask him to teach you to pray, what's it all for? It's revelatory. It's an epiphany. Prayer is normal. And there's no other way to be Christian than to pray, to commune with God. Let me quote from Anne Voskamp. She said this, everything boils down to one plan, one word, one commitment, just to keep whispering this over and over again, Jesus. Time with him, keeping company with him, walking with him, resting in him, living in him, growing in him, changing in him, becoming like him. Amen, anyone? Does that sound awesome? That's Ann Voskamp, a beautiful novel writer, someone who writes so profoundly. And here's the the thing, let me apply this to us. So many of us disqualify ourselves from prayer. We think I'm not, you know, my attention span's not that great or maybe I've struggled with my life this week or, you know, I feel like such a hypocrite because I want to enter into the holy of holies, but here I have just the worst week. And here's what this would tell us. Don't start with who you are or who you're not. Start with what Jesus is inviting you into. Teach us to pray. It's the invitation to communion. It's the invitation to relationship. Um, You don't need to feel comparison. Start where you are. My best prayer times have started not because I tried to be the person that I thought I should be before God, but I just, as normally as possible, started where I was. I remember driving along one day, and I'll make my last point in a second. I was driving along one day, and I remember just being frustrated that I couldn't pray. Have you ever had that moment? You're all way more holy than I am. I was just frustrated. I was like, I want to pray. Like, I, I want that. That sounds really good to me. I was driving along, and I just didn't feel like praying. And so, you know what I did? I just started telling that to God. It's like, God, I don't feel like praying to you. And He was like, How dare you? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> and I was like, Lord, why is that? You know, like, what's happened in my week? Well, Lord, this week, you know, i run at a pace that I don't think's healthy for me. And when that happens, God, I really miss you. And God, when I miss you, I don't feel your presence as much. And Lord, I just I pray I feel your presence in my life more, you know. And, and God, would, it, would you be so kind, not just to give me your presence, but actually to help me in this thing we call prayer. and I had a really good car ride. Start where you are and just let it overflow. It's way more conversational than we sometimes make it out to be. Prayer is normal, not unusual. And here's the last one. Now, if you don't get this last one, you won't pray. You ready for it? It's simply this that God likes you, He doesn't just love you. I think we often don't pray because we struggle to believe the beauty of the character that the Bible reveals to be true about God. I think that's why we struggle to pray so much. And so here's my question. When you try and pray, you might be a new Christian. You might not be a Christian at all. You might be a seasoned Christian with heaps of sedimented Christian rhythms under your belt. And when you try and pray, what's God like to you in that moment? Like, as you come to him, what's the expression on his face? Is he angry? Or does he say, you know, hey, I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed? What's he like? When you enter into his presence, when you step into his throne room, when you come to him in prayer, what's God's orientation to you? Is he standing with his arms crossed? Is he distant and disinterested? Is he close enough that actually he's impotent and can't do anything about your situation? And here's what I know to be true about God. He's a loving Father. And He's just so glad you've turned up. Think about that next time you pray. That'll put fire under the seed of your prayer life. Now next week, Dylan's gonna preach for us on God as Father, so I won't steal His thunder. I'm really excited about it. But, this is the picture that Jesus gives us of God. He's a loving Father. He wants to know and be known by you. He wants to love and be loved by you. And you bet your bottom dollar that he likes you. A few weeks ago at church, I said, because God calls us to love one another, it's okay if we don't like one another. God marries those two things together in a way that's humanly impossible for us. He likes you. Pete Greg, the starter of the 24-7 prayer movement, He said it like this when you come to God in prayer he is not scowling he is smiling I just want to ask you this afternoon what's God's face right now to you if you were to just go home tonight get down the end of your bed and seek to engage with God in prayer what face do you see And I just want to say, as the pastor of this church, from the depth and breadth of the scriptures, God's not scowling. He is smiling. He's not disappointed or angry. He's glad you turned up. He's longing to commune with you. And if you don't get that, you won't pray. It'll make prayer feel like a duty and religious things feel like an absolute burden. But if you get that, you will leave this place just wanting to spend time. Just wanting to sit. Just wanting to be in his presence. You know, um, one thing that Kath and I have come to say in marriage is, you know, oh, wow, we get to wake up to each other every single day. You're my favorite person. Sounds really cute. It is. I'll claim it. But all of us in the relationships that we have, we've all got this experience of being like, oh, I really love spending time with that person. You know, we've all got that person. If you don't, let me pray for you. <laughs> but think about it, who's that person in your life that you just love spending time with? And here's two increasingly profound thoughts that I just give you as we finish up our time. That one, God can become that for you and wait for it. You've become that for God. You're the one he wants to spend time with. You're the one he loves to be with. You can be God's favorite person. It's not fluffy. It's not just a way to pad and lift up your ego. It's actually the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can be that one. And so some of you here are sitting here thinking, man, I wish Alex taught me to pray today. Where are the practicals? Dylan, next week, that'd be great. Prayer has to start with desiring God. If you don't start there, you won't get anywhere. If you don't have that, prayer will suck. If you don't love God, and know that God loves you, know that He delights in you, know that He just wants to spend time with you, then prayer is going to be the worst experience of a guilt trip in your life. But if it's true, that as Jesus taught us to pray, our Heavenly Father, who just wants to be with us, build relationship with us, man, that'll teach you to pray. There's gonna be a bunch of opportunities over the next six weeks for us to engage prayer practically. And me and the team are thinking about what they could be. I'm so excited, actually, just to invite us as a community to lean into corporate prayer, to personal prayer, to praying prayers we might never thought we could pray before. But if you don't start here, you're gonna get nowhere. And so here's the question I have for us this afternoon. It's the question that St. Augustine raised when he said about God, you've put salt on our lips. Do your lips feel salty this afternoon? Is there a God-shaped hole in your heart that you feel burdened by? Do you know the hunger which is infinite for which nothing in this world will satisfy, but prayer will help you tap into you? Do you know desire for God this afternoon? The beautiful part about the Christian story is that the key ingredient with which prayer starts, we don't have to fabricate on our own. And so I just want to invite us as a community this afternoon, if you're hungry or you want to be hungry for God and you want to use this experience exercise in prayer as a means by which just to be with him I just want to invite you where you are just to stand now this is actually a big call because we've got some guests in the room this afternoon and they're like man do they invite individuals to stand every week sometimes there's a bit of risk here but just as a community and a show of solidarity to one one another if you right now desire to go deep in prayer I'd invite you to stand why don't you do that now I just want to say, I, I also want to go deep in prayer. Could you imagine if we look back in five years' time and say, Yeah, June 2022, that's when it began. You know what I mean? That's when I learned to pray. That's when God did something which completely changed my life. And so I want to pray that over us, pray that for us. And I just want to pay, pay particular pastoral attention to those in the room right now who are just a bit numb towards God. I want to pray that he would pour out his spirit on us, overflow his love in us. And so if you'd like to participate in that, I just invite you, open up your hands in a sign of surrender and let me pray. God, you've put salt on our lips. Some of us more than others, but hopefully all of us, God, we, we want to know you. Father, I pray for those of us in the room right now who might just be a little bit numb to you. The things of God feel distant, locked away in a room that I'm not sitting in. And Lord, I just pray, pour out your spirit on us as a church. Would you fill us with hunger for you? And in that place of hunger, God, leave us not unsettled, but walk to us by your Spirit and pour out your love, Lord. Lord, I pray you'd burden each of us a desire. And Lord, help us not stop with intention, help us walk out with faith this adventure and pilgrimage that we call learning to pray as Jesus taught us to pray. For it's in his name we ask all of these things. Amen.